Welcome back to another episode of Spirits and Chat with John and Matt. I am Matt Pullman. And I'm Jonathan Emerson. And this is the podcast where we make up a classic drink. We chat with a friend or just amongst ourselves sometimes. <laughs> and then we geek out over something super fun and nerdy. Super awesome. So, John, what are we making this week? Today... In honor of what will be our fanboy session uh, later in the episode, we're going to make... Spoilers. Spoilers! Uh, we're going to make a green drink. Ooh. So that might be a hint of our... Uh, yeah, uh, our it's in our the intention. episode description. So, <laughs> yeah, we're talking about Wicked a little later. So but we thought we'd pair it with something with green. With something green. And uh, the selection there is a little limited. I think I happened on what ended up being like the 1920s alcoholic version of the Shamrock Shake. Uh, so let's explore that. It's called the Grasshopper. Mm. Um, I mm. now I it's it's very simple, uh, deceptively simple, um, but it's delicious. Uh, at least the little bits of it I've tried so far. So it's three parts. It's a drink in three parts. It's th- one one part uh, creme de cacao, one part creme de menthe, and then one part crema or cream. Uh, so you mix all three together uh, in a shaker with some crushed ice. I went with the, now it says to use, the recipe I'm uh, reading has dairy and non-dairy options here. So I obviously went with the non-dairy because uh, we don't do lactose here. But um, it's not that we're vegan. It's just that my stomach cannot process it. Yeah, and I just thought, I actually thought coconut milk would be a lot more fun than than lactate. It just sounds more fun uh, and more tropical to me. And then uh, <laughs> uh, creme de menthe, uh, easy peasy to find in the liquor stores. Uh, challenge, though, I could not find white creme de cacao. I had to go with the brown version. So if you actually use coconut cream as your quote-unquote cream, the base is still uh, bright enough that you get a nice vibrant green color. We'll see. This might be like a navy color or like a camouflage (laughs) or like a swamp water. A dark brown. Mm, Oh, girl. Uh, Okay. (laughs) So we're drinking it now. So go ahead and shake it up. Do it. Yeah. The ice in this is crushed, so it's not the cacophony that we normally have. All right, I think I've done that vigorously enough. Good job. And straining into martini glasses for some fun. Oh, there you go. That's a nice grain. Yeah. Let me take a picture of that okay. before before we taste before it. Before we enjoy, it's it's a darker green. Um, it's I guess it's close to. It's like. It's pea soupish okay. green. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say emerald, but it's really not quite there yet. Yeah. But it's close. Okay, there's a picture, and I guess now the fun part. Let's we get try to taste it. it. Do it. Cheers. Cheers. Hmm. It's subtle. It's minty. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm not a huge mint person i'm one of those people who mint always reminds me of toothpaste so it's mint isn't my favorite flavor but it's not bad it's good it's definitely for me this is a dessert drink or an it after definitely dinner. is and historically too okay are we going to talk about the history uh, yeah we're going to dive into it um first I'll, I'll just say for anyone making this at home if you do have so i had to err on the side of caution using a brown uh creme de cacao uh because it Another ounce of it would have definitely turned this not green. So um, the flavor profile is there, but I think you'll get uh, a little bit more of an acidic uh, counterbalance to the mint if you actually find uh, white creme de cacao. Uh, so now um, on to the 60-second history. Do you want to time me? Um, sure. All this, right. This Are one's actually pretty easy. Yeah. Okay. All right. And three, two, one, go. All right. So uh, this drink was created in 1918 by uh, Philibert Guichet uh, in uh, Louisiana. So he actually created the drink in a New York City drink, uh, excuse me, a New York City cocktail contest, uh, and then uh, went back, uh, proudly brought his second prize winning drink back to uh, to Jaguas, which is the restaurant uh, in the French Quarter of New Orleans that is famous uh, for this this concoction. Um, it's records beyond that. So it uh, first... Uh, 30 seconds. Okay. It, it first appeared in publication, it, created in, 2000, in 1918, first published in an article in 1919, uh, famous ever since then in bars around the world. Uh, and to Jiggy's, notoriously has um, some pretty hazy 
some pretty hazy records on this due to <coughs> prohibition. That's it. Is that it? Yeah. Okay, good. So you got it in 52 seconds. Woo! And if you heard any squeaking in the background, that was not um, any sort of ADR loop or any sort of <laughs> sound gaffing. It was our dog decided to play a squeaky toys out with, of... With his toy fish. At the most uh, apropos time. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so that's basically the history. Um, we don't... I don't think you or I have personal histories with this drink. Oh, no, this is new. The reason I only heard of this drink is I remember... It was in the early seasons of the Big Bang Theory. If you remember, um, the character Raj couldn't speak to women unless he was drunk. And so this was the drink they gave him so he could talk to girls. It was kind of a thing that he would order a grasshopper at a bar so he could be junk, <laughs> junk and drunk and not be... I don't, I don't know if that was a reoccurring thing because I stopped watching that show after season three because I, I kind of... It's ongoing, yeah. Okay, yeah. but so that's... That's where the, this drink came into my personal uh, view. It's, so I looked... I'm go, sorry, oh, go, go on. ahead. Yeah. No, so I did some digging into the history as well. Okay. I went to the Wikipedia page. The Wikipedia page was very, very short and not helpful at all. We're reading the same article. My God. Oh, is this is from Eater.com? Eater? <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I paraphrased, so I wasn't oh, plagiarizing. Oh, so but... <laughs> funny. So I think the Wikipedia page had linked to this article and its mm -hmm. bibliography. Okay. That's hilarious. Yeah, so I printed out the entire article. It's called, It's Not Easy Being Green, The Weird History of the Grasshopper. A Brief History of That Super Sweet Minty Green Cocktail, The Grasshopper. This is by Aaron de Jesus. It was published on October 23rd, 2014. So I found this article hilarious <laughs> for a lot of reasons. You already gave the basic outline yeah. of the history. I took interest in just the way some of this article was worded. First off, this author mentions underage drinking Several times. Okay. And by underage, I don't mean 17. It means like nine-year-olds. So I, <laughs> I highlighted all the parts where... <laughs> where you could tip it. To, you could give them... A, you can give your nine-year-old a sip and it'll be just fine. Okay. Yeah. Some spoilers, but that's okay. So this is in the first... <laughs> this is in the very first opening... Her opening paragraph, her thesis statement for this article. The grasshopper's sugary punch means it's often the cocktail of choice among teenagers surreptitiously learning how to drink. The flavors are already familiar to the all-ages slices of Oreo-crusted grasshopper pie. Or conversely, many regard the grasshopper as grandma's go-to drink, slowly <laughs> slipped as she fondly reminisces about cocktail parties in the 1950s. Okay, so kids and grandma <laughs> like this drink. I'm telling you, it is the shamrock shake I mean, of alcohol. That's, that's it not, really is. That's not who we are encouraging to drink in this podcast, but okay. Uh, and then, in parentheses, the ultimate guilty pleasure, a famous version of the blended grass grasshopper served at Bendetti's Supper Club in Beloit, Wisconsin, uses three-fourths a gallon of ice cream to create one what? drink. Okay, so then it goes on. There's all these quotes from these different bartenders, and one of them, quote, the one from New Orleans says, quote, it's not really a strong drink. So if you give your nine-year-old a sip of this mint chocolate chip drink, it's not like giving them a sip of bourbon, says Mark Ladder, the present-day owner of... To Jaguars. To Jaguars? To Jaguars is how I went with it. I think I think it's French, so I think um, I think there's some silent okay. consonants that you are barreling <laughs> over, um, like a drunk grandma, drunk on grasshoppers <laughs> with her nine-year-old in the back. Um, I'm going to say Tuja goes. Uh, the bar credited with inventing the grasshopper nearly a hundred goes. He laughs. Huh? This is New Orleans, right? Okay. <laughs> uh, so then the article goes on to state that it again was created in New Orleans. Uh, da, 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 green drinks. Oh, let's get to the next funny quote. So they're talking about how this became a big hit. Uh, and he says, in the dining room... You could get the 40 and 50 year olds whose grandparents came and their grandparents came. 
We get a lot of great stories of third and fourth generations coming to Chujigos, and the grasshopper always comes up in conversation. <laughs> so again, you got your baby boomers coming in talking about the drink. It's a drink that unites the, the generational gap. The other place in the states where it's popular was in wisconsin where they apparently put a mm. lot of ice cream in it because wisconsin is known for its dairy, dairy. products yeah. um so there it's it is kind of like a shamrock shake with liqueur in it um and they interviewed a bartender his name is pepe lemoco <laughs> when i first started attending bar i had a bunch of regulars who were all from wisconsin they were about my age and a lot of them were former bartenders they indoctrinated me into the Wisconsin style of drinking, which is all about fun. Oh, that sounds great. I didn't know which that. Which is all about That's fun. It's all about fun. Uh, yeah, what so, did that lead to? And then it goes on his other quote. As kids, we would get a little spoonful here and there along with our kitty cocktails, he said. You felt really grown up. Back then, to go out to dinner at a supper club, you didn't wear t-shirts and flip-flops and shorts. So then again, another quote about children drinking alcohol. <laughs> and yeah, that's about it. Let's be honest, though. That's like that's like the Wisconsin version of the Irish dad uh, giving his 13-year-old son his first sip of bourbon. Uh, or the uh, Italian version of uh, wine with dinner, uh, so long as your parents were there. So I don't know. I think and there's then, a lot of cultures yeah, yeah. And, and then to, just that. to finish up this article, is that it's the same bartender, Pepe Lamoco. He was just kind of free associating what he thought about alcohol, and he got very very um, I don't know, philosophical. <laughs> he says, what if we take away the idea that the Sazerac is good, but a Long Island iced tea is bad? Or that a Vuquer is good, but an espresso martini is bad, he asks. What if we take that all away and just make drinks? Wow. Boom. And Boom. I just, yeah, dropped, I just dropped the article and the mic, apparently. All right. Um, wow. Uh, that was very philosophical. I will say in terms of this drink, it... It's more like, to me, it is more like a milkshake than a cocktail. And that's only, I think, because I am experiencing it at this point in my life uh, for the first time. Because had you and I drank this when we were 18 or 19, I would have been down. Uh, this this is not far off, um, lacking acidity, of course, but this is not far off from a Smirnoff or a Smirnoff Ice or a, what are the other, Mike's Hard Lemonades. Mike's Hard or... Things that, or a Zima, Zima, if you're of a certain age. Yeah. <laughs> so so imagine that, but with cream. Like, you're not... That's that's really... You're getting a touch of alcohol. The the two liquors involved here, um, the creme de menthe and the creme de cacao, are 30 proof. So you are literally drinking a Smirnoff ice with extra yeah, sugar. Yeah, so there, what was interesting about this drink is there's no really hard liquor base. No. Like, everything else we made has had... A, vodka or whiskey or rum but this is it kind of feels like this drink is just the mixers this was just together. playful wisconsin fun and louisiana yeah. fun um for yeah, it's a very light drink so so if you want to give your kids something to drink if you it's are inclined it's probably safe it's for probably the, the best thing that you should give <laughs> your children and your elderly relatives and we are to drink not if you have to, and those and those opinions do not uh, necessarily reflect our opinion on uh, yeah, don't don't drink underage. Uh, okay. <laughs> but if you do, <laughs> it's a good gateway. Drink. <laughs> I don't know. It kind of looks like a glass it's, of paint. It's to like me. an aperitif. It's like a like a dessert. If you want to call yourself a drinker, but definitely walk away sober. This is how you, this is a vehicle for that. I mean, you don't really have to use mouthwash, I guess, after it. Because my breath, I can imagine, probably smells great. It does. It does. I can confirm for the audience. Oh, and, and also, I threw the article on the floor dramatically, even though this is an audio medium. And then the dog started chewing on it. So I'm going to pick it back up. And, the, and just one more thing to add from my side, uh, something in the same article that we've been uh, sort of pouring over to do this uh, quote-unquote research, um, the current... What do you mean quote-unquote? <laughs> this we re typed this, this research into Google, we pulled up articles, we both pulled up footnotes. Multiple articles and footnotes, yes. So I have to tell you, I always check the bibliography. Okay. I was really stretching to find something interesting about this drink. 
I also Googled creme de menthe. I also Googled creme de cacao. I tried to find interesting things about those mixtures. Could not find anything <laughs> until I came upon, upon this weird article from Eater. So I will defend the scientific method that we have employed to get this data for this podcast that a whole seven of you are listening to. <laughs> Amen. And um, to that extent, uh, the restaurant we've been talking about, uh, just in case they want to sponsor us, has been around for well over a century. Uh, to Jaguars, to, 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 to Shays. We don't. Um, we never bother. We're not being good advertisers here. How to pronounce it? So um, I don't think they're going to want to give us money. That's true. Uh, but anyway, uh, the version of but the if drink- you're in New Orleans. New check Orleans. them out. Why not? Yeah, check, check them, them out. Um, and there is a version of this drink I think I can get down with that they're currently serving. They serve it milkshake, milkshake style, just like we're seeing uh, on our table before us. Uh, but they're actually adding in a bourbon float. And that mm. sounds amazing. So with the float, do you mix it in the drink? Or is it like a side? Because it's like when I order a margarita at Olive Garden, <laughs> as I have done several times, they give you that little extra tequila shot to go in it. I guess that's yes. the Italian way, and you just mix it in. So are you mixing in bourbon with this is the long way I mean, technically that. a float would be would be just floating the bourbon on top of the mixture. But yes, the more sophisticated way in certain bars would be to use the... Uh, what did you say? The Applebee's method? The uh... <laughs> Not Applebee's, Olive Garden. God. Olive Garden. Gosh. Uh, what but... kind of tacky ho do you take? <laughs> but yeah, sometimes there is... Uh, we actually experienced this at Red Lobster uh, with a gift certificate recently when we took the gift certificate to their bar. Wait, wait, wait. Just to let the audience know, we do go to places that don't only exist in shopping malls. All right? Because so far you have dropped... <laughs> Applebee's, Olive Garden, Red Lobster within the span of a minute. Yeah, so we go to we nice get, places. We get, get we get gift cards sometimes from folks in Ohio, and so also that's what we use we them for. live within fifteen minutes walking distance of an Olive Garden. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, so our, our gift cards came in really handy. Um, but we tried this out at Red Lobster the other day, and the margarita they served had a a, te- a tequila float of Patron hanging off the glass so you just sort of poured it in that was oh, interesting maybe that's what i'm thinking of. I, I, think I think they do it both yeah, yeah they yeah. probably do it at both classy all right uh <laughs> this is a podcast where we talk about chain restaurants <laughs> and how they're wonderful <laughs> please sponsor us and we spend more time giving them kudos and accolades than we do the indie places in new orleans who we never bothered to learn their name so so shame on us I learned something today. <laughs> okay, Stan. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, any any other thoughts you'd like to share on this wonderful uh, uh, shamrock shake? No. <laughs> hey, John, I have some shocking news. Shocking. Some news that might shock you. And that news is... Former Representative Aaron Schock is loud, out, and proud. What? Yeah, you mean so, the same guy who was virulently anti-gay? Uh, was he a? He was a congressman, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, virulently sure anti-gay, uh, anti-gay marriage. Uh, actually, put forth policy to hurt us. Um, and this is not a new trend. No, so actually, this is the first time we did a segment like this. This Sorry, is March... it's a little dark. It gets better. Wicked's next. Yeah, so today, <laughs> as of March 5th, um, Congressman Aaron Schock finally came out as gay after years of speculation. So I wasn't really following him at all in the past few years. I like politics, but I'm really not up on every single congressperson's shenanigans. Especially the Republicans, because that can get very draining very fast. Right. Um, So I had heard Aaron Chalk through a lot of rumor sites, a lot of rumor mills. And honestly, the first couple of times I heard about him and I saw his pictures and all his kind of thirsty shirtless, like muscle. Yes, yes. With multiple dudes. Often. I honestly thought he was either a reality star or a porn star. I, I didn't really know who this person was. And it wasn't until, like, the third story that's like, oh, this is a congressperson. How tacky. How sleazy. <laughs> um, it's one of those things that I was an open secret for a long time. And what I think tipped the iceberg, it was either last year or two years ago at Coachella, 
he was photographed that's the one uh, shirtless yeah. and he was basically just grabbing guys and very out and about and I guess it got to a point where it went from broy to um to hoey. <laughs> oh my god, yes. Thank you for finishing that. And so today he released a very long public statement via the Instagram okay. as one does and it's about I was scrolling through it. It's like 8 pages and he's telling his whole life story. I didn't read it all. I read the first page. Um so I think there's a couple things that we could talk sure about this. Um Number one, as you mentioned, this is a person who for years, while in Congress, voted against LGBT rights. He currently has a 0% from the Human Rights Campaign. Um, he voted against marriage equality. He voted against... Um, job protection, adoption, job, mm-hmm. every little thing he possibly could over the years. Right, and what was disappointing in his very long public statement is not once does he apologize for any of his past actions while in politics. He apologizes for not being his authentic self, but he has still yet to apologize for his voting record. I think he either made a statement this year or last year that, you know, back in 2008, you know, both Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama were not for marriage equality. They they had publicly in their campaigns said that they were for civil unions, but not for marriage equality. Both of them famously changed their stances when right. it suited them, which is not and great. And they owned but it, it, and it was they admitted it was a mistake. Yeah, right. But he has yet to atone for anything. So. The, the first and that, that's not uh, not about his punishment. The problem is he's not he's not uh, he's he, there's this famous quote by Wanda Sykes that came up after the whole Kevin Spacey debacle. And you can't you, to quote her, you can't hide under the rainbow. You know, like, how dare you is is really where, where I live with this. Like, I'm not. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you for coming out. Uh, but also you this really gets into an entirely different topic about the self-hatred that that sometimes being a gay man can cause you to feel and have and cause you to make others suffer. It's very much a uh, Yoda, I guess, so to speak. Like, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hatred leads to suffering. And you can literally paint a picture based on this guy's history with all of this. Right, and honestly, I have not deep-dived his background enough to know why he does what he does and i'm not going to i really don't care enough it's it's a comes from a very conservative family a lot of religious and of course you tie if you tie being anti-gay and conservative and all the things that go with it into uh why you into your political life into your not just your political life but your career like your your bread and butter if you're accustomed to getting ahead by saying terrible things um, and you have so much shame about your own personal truth that you bury it. And uh, to be honest, like I, I can tell a personal story very, very akin to to this. When I was a teenager, I was outed at one point uh, in the in my high school days, and it literally caused me to lose everyone. Like everyone dropped me like a sack of potatoes. And this was the 90s. It was mm-hmm. not It was not cool to be gay. There, It was not friendly. It was in my school. It was dangerous. And I was, I was outed and uh, lost everyone and then moved to a new school where that rumor followed me. And um, it made me anti-gay. Like I was very, very, uh, whenever somebody called me gay, I was very, very violent to be honest. Like it, it caused a very, very visceral reaction because of the cost it had. So I can imagine this guy probably empathically, I can say this guy probably went through something similar in his childhood. But, um, but yeah, I mean, in the world he was living in, we had made so much progress politically in terms of uh, marriage and in terms of, of some rights. We have a long way to go, obviously, in terms of trans rights and a lot of other areas, but he didn't help. Even even when it became cool to be gay, this guy really uh, stuck to his game. Okay, so the, one of the points that I wanted to think, and a lot of this is going to be hypothetical, 
is we have this literal situation that happened. Um, again, in his statement, he did not apologize for any of his past. Right. Um, what I was thinking of going forward, where and if and when does forgiveness come in? Like, what would could he have done, or can he do? Do you think for us? I mean, you and I and the gay community liberals to forgive him, to see him as a human being struggling something rather than a politician, you know, fucking over a minority. I like, think, I, I, and I literally, I have no answer to that. God. I think, um, I think that, yeah. again, apologizing for his past actions would be a start. That would be huge. And he didn't do that. So I don't know what rope I can throw him for my own conscience. I feel, well, here's, here's my problem. Um, you know, we, so what I'm gaining from all of this is if we asked him his views now, I think he would say he's pro-marriage. I think he'd say he's pro-adoption. I think he'd say he's pro-anti-discrimination because he's in the, he's trying to put himself in our umbrella, which I, I get. Um, but the way that I've read his statement is, I mean, that's kind of putting words okay. in his mouth. His whole statement was about his personal journey, but he doesn't mention any of his politics. Right. He leaves that very alone. So I guess, like, how does someone who has a psychological problem, who comes from, uh, I don't I don't think his situation was abusive, but very conservative, right. like, how much of his nature versus nurture... I'm going to like, turn this well, on its head a little bit, mm -hmm. though. I, I have to, and I have to connect it not just to him, but to something that we experience within our own lives. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I bet a lot of other uh, listeners do. Um, I have a lot of conservative friends. I have a lot of people who identify as Republicans, and they are fiscal Republicans. They are um, they're really quite... Uh, financial Republicans, to be honest, their their entire concerns, as I understand them, are tax-based. And I mean, that's libertarianism, but... Uh, sure. Uh, or or protecting how... uh, protecting their wealth is, is qu quite honest, if I'm being honest, how I see it. Um, so when you, when you talk to these folks and you talk, and I have, I have, I have teacher friends even who are uh, teachers that influenced me, were amazing, um, that are a little conservative and um, really just focus on those elements. But when I talk about politics, will tell me to my face, or not my face, but they'll tell me on social media that they believe in gay marriage. They believe in, um, they believe in gay adoption. They believe in uh, non-discrimination policies. So they're socially liberal, but they're, they're still voting Republican. They're still voting, in, in my mind, they're still voting to harm me. Uh, harm us, harm my community. So it's it's very difficult to reconcile. And I think that's the game this type of person that we're talking about is playing, which is like, yes, this is me now. This is my life. And I'm um, I'm still a conservative. You know, maybe he's still playing both sides of that game. Uh, well, I don't think we know yet because he's not in politics, which to segue to something that I learned today, which I think I remember, he, he, he kind of left... In a hilarious way. So he okay. resigned. I don't know if you know this. So I, no. he resigned in 2000, I think it was 15, for misuse right? yes. of campaign finances. Because of Be Coachella? Not, no, Coachella was two years ago. Oh, this okay. was like five years ago. He was using campaign finances to redecorate his office in the style of Downton Abbey. Oh, my and God. And also he was using campaign finances to buy workout equipment. <laughs> So that is that is officially he had to why, get those guns why lit before. He okay. Also, the thing with this dude, while he was still in the closet as of yesterday, he had this habit of posting a lot of shirtless thirsty pics. <laughs> and no, if you just which Google are them, fine. I love thirsty pics. I post them all the time. It's fine, and they he has like the nickname of like I don't know. They give him a stupid nickname like sex, sexiest congressman. But all these very weird sexual pictures for a very conservative Republican. Mostly it, hanging out with a bunch of other cut dudes. So, well, it reminded yeah. me of years ago when Paul Ryan was running as VP, oh, and then yeah. someone leaked these pictures 
I don't remember when he took them, but they were of him working out and he was like holding a dumbbell and wearing a backwards like red baseball cap <laughs> looking like AC Slater from the 80s. Yes. It is so but it's so dumb and yeah. it's so goofy from these like super right wing guys and what what kind of annoyed me is when right wing guys like that do silly stupid shit like that they get a pass oh sure They're just brought, but if if obama wears a tan suit oh then it's front page on for fox it's, real it's it's the kind of double standard and hypocrisy for right wing left wing where or the fact that uh, guys can do whatever they want and it's fine and it's so it's here's the thing is i feel like when you are a representative when you're in congress the senate whatever you are a representative of the people and of and country, all of the people and there's so much your, yeah. there's so much class and decorum with that position and not that there's anything wrong with taking you know a thirsty photo thirsty photos i promise but, i will do that next week but when but when you know someone on the left does it the right will get all riled and up. What's how, and what's thirsty yeah. about a tan suit? Uh, like, no, well, the, no, the double no, standard exactly. is ridiculous. No, exactly. And honestly, the, let's talk about, I mean, we could go back into Hillary with this, but uh, honestly, Elizabeth Warren's treatment through this whole process has been BS. I, I won't swear, but BS. Um, I, I swear I all the time. I think we've dropped a lot of... Okay, it's S bullshit. It's mm -hmm. total bullshit. She's amazing, and I wish she was still running, and I think we all do. Um, or I should say a lot of our listeners. Anyway, uh, vote blue no matter who, because concentration camps. That's what I've got to say about that. Yeah. Okay, so to wrap it up in this <laughs> topic, um, is there anything that Aaron Schock could do going forward to change your opinion of him so it's not here's the thing i he's no longer a politician um if he were i think i think accounts need to be had you know but the reality is um i also believe very very firmly in the conservative room to grow um i i think we gave it to when it's honest, right? I think Obama and Hillary and so many politicians uh, came about this. There was a there was a time in the early '90s. We remember I was on the Kerry campaign. Like we, being gay was an instant ticket to not being elected or favoring anything gay. Was literally the entire Bush campaign was won on issue one in Ohio. Uh, so it, those of us who've experienced that. Um, yeah, there was a time where you couldn't be a politician and favor gay people. That time has passed, and we need to get past it. Um, but this person that we're talking about is no longer a politician. So I think the mantle of forgiveness and his disappearance. I don't just live your life and, uh, yes, be gay, great, stay the hell I, out of politics. I mean, I will, for my own, if he puts his, I don't say money where his mouth is, but his attitude. Yes. And I see him working maybe with LGBT youth, maybe helping transgendered some, folks like in some way. Yes. money to, you know, LGBT causes. But there's a lot doing, of education that could happen to. Yeah. I feel like, like if this person walks the walk and does the work, then maybe long term his legacy can be repaired. But that's that's it's yet to be seen what he's going to do. And with yeah. him being out now, he's he's a he's, he's a, chosen at the end of the day. So there is a um, privilege hierarchy even within the gay community that we deal with, um, and he is a rich straight. White, uh, sorry, no, a rich, in, now, now gay. How, how are you new to this conversation? <laughs> we established that for a, a minute. I'm sorry, yeah. I'm so used to saying the word rich and straight uh, right after each other, but he's a rich, I mean, gay, white guy. He's the straightest of the gays. Right? Of the gays. <laughs> and, 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 and was in, is wrapped in privilege and a silver spoon. And I think, I think history uh, will tell how. And he, he wasn't uses. using that spoon to protect us. I mean, you know? it's like so, what Uncle Ben said to Spider Man with great power comes, comes great, great responsibility. responsibility. So he could be a force for positive change within his own party, or he could keep just self-aggrandizing himself. 
Yes, and, and that is something I, 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 I guarantee he will be on Dancing with the Stars next season. I guarantee, <laughs> like, he seems like kind of the tacky celebrity that's gonna, I would hope, does good, but is just kind of gonna self promote and. Get and he's the probably not a dancer. Let's be honest. So. Uh, Better than better than Spicer or what's mm-hmm. his name? Yeah, uh, Sean Spicer. Sean so, Spicer's gay. No, no, I'm, but he was, was on. Da- oh. oh, okay. All right. He, no, no, he would have been much more smooth on camera. Anyway, um, yeah, I guess for me, I would just say um, the main takeaway from this whole conversation for me, and I, I'll say it to my conservative friends. I've asked several of my more conservative friends online to to help me understand them um, in terms of their vote, right? Because, how do I put this? I want, I really do want to go back to talking about taxes and healthcare and, but when the other party wants to take your ability to do things, uh, when take your ability to live a happy life away from you. Like there are people on the conservative side who want to literally come to my door and take our marriage license from us and all the 1500 rights that go along with it. It's very powerful. Um, you know, I, I need you to help me justify that because there's nothing about your tax bill. I assure you, we pay a fortune. We live in New York city. Um, yeah, I, I, I just don't know. For, for for me, if Elizabeth Warren, for instance, were elected tomorrow, um, you might have different tax situations. Not ones that hurt you, but they would be different. Um, for me, Matt and I could end up, you know, like we could end up in conversion therapy. Like that that's the difference between our sides that I see. And I've never talked to anybody who's been able to, to help me understand the conservative, uh, the the fiscal conservative slash uh, socially liberal viewpoint, and I'm 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 dying to to learn it, to to better understand it. What are your thoughts about that or about Aaron Chuck? Oh goodness, no, he is the, he's the story uh, for me. Uh, he's he is that that viewpoint. He he didn't care enough about his own people uh, because of. Maybe it was family. Maybe it was that. What? What? I don't know what it was among the conservative uh, upbringing he had that made him feel that way, or made him choose that that path. But it's it's just it's hard. It, it's hard to reconcile for me. Right? How he? How he? And anyone? I mean, there's there's log cabin Republicans. Like right? They so- they do want to hurt. They they want to put the Christian right does absolutely wants to punish you for being gay in any legislative in any legal way that they can. So it's like, how do you reconcile with somebody who says, "Well, I really would just like a two percent tax break next year rather than like my one percent tax break"? I, I I can't put it together. Okay, so I think you're not a fan. <laughs> him i i just i don't think about him a lot this is the most i've thought about him probably ever only the thirsty photos were the only things i thought of it's but it also goes to show that like i don't know uh, if you can't love yourself you can't love anyone he clearly hated not only himself but his people probably a very yeah i mean it's very sad it's sad all around and sad that he voted the way he did i think he's probably a sad human being and I think time will tell what he does from here. And I would like to see him take this and make a positive impact in the world. That would be great. See, he, from a visceral standpoint, he seems like kind of a tacky, shallow person. So I (laughs) probably don't think that's going to happen. But I think in these kind of scary times, we can only hope for the best and kind of use these as teachable moments and lessons for ourselves and lessons, you know yeah, yeah. and and it, lessons for the youth you know yeah. like we all it was a lesson for you know we both had our own lessons and developments and yeah right i'm <laughs> shocked Hey, John, did you know that so much happened before Dorothy dropped in? What? 
Yes, really. Long time ago in the land of Oz, two young girls met. One was blonde and beautiful. The other was green and mysterious. The first they called good, and the second they called Wicked. Yes, we are talking about the musical Wicked for our fanboy corner. Wicked is, of course, the 2003 hit musical with music by Stephen Schwartz that opened on Broadway and is still running on Broadway till this day and across the globe. Yes. Uh, In fact, this is one of the... Definitely not the first, but one of the first shows that Matt and I saw uh, in New York City as a couple, um, became super fans of, and have literally, I, I mean, we'll get into some storytelling here, but I mean, it's one been a definitive... of us more than other. But... Well, I, I. So let's. You'll <laughs> have to give them some background. Start at the very beginning. So I feel like I might have more of a wicked background than you. So yes. what is your wicked slash Wizard of Oz background? Because I. Feel like you can't talk about one without the other. Sure. So, Wizard of Oz was probably my first introduction to movie musicals, and I thought that actually I, I had thought that the witch was one of the coolest characters in the story, at least from an acting perspective. Um, her and the Scarecrow I, I found to be the most fun. Uh, the music was great. Uh, Judy Garland is, you know legendary um but to be honest it wasn't really out of all the science fiction that that i that that we follow it'd probably be the universe that i followed the least um i know it was a much different story for you Mm -hmm. yeah so wizard of oz came into my life when i was very young i actually remember the very first time that i saw the movie i was with my grandparents my paternal grandparents i was staying at their house and it was actually kind of a very Difficult time for me. I was staying with them um, during time when my father was going through chemo. And I was staying with them when he was at a hospital out of state. And it was a tradition that CBS would air The Wizard of Oz every year. I think it was Thanksgiving weekend. Mm -hmm. And it was for years, probably for decades, up until the 90s. It was once a year they always aired The Wizard of Oz. And my grandma in particular was a big fan of old movies and classic movies and so she made a big deal of showing it to me. And I still remember watching the part where it turns from black and white to color, to color and being yes. completely spellbound. And I was I was only four, and I still remember being very intrigued and captivated, captivated by this very, very old movie. So I would always watch it every year when it would air during Thanksgiving and I think it was a movie like this and stories like Peter Pan and Alice in yes. Wonderland and other stories where there's a character who's young who goes to another world, a fantasy world, and something happens and they come back changed. Right. And that type of story really resonated with me that, you know, you could be going through troubles in your own life on Earth and then just go away for a little bit, not forever, not run away, but... Um, go away and come back change. And I feel like a lot of these stories were really powerful for me as a child. I think The Wizard of Oz was the first to really captivate me like that. So I always watched the movie. I was a big fan of Return to Oz. Oh, I remember that with which Caruza is Balk. Caruza Balk, which was <clears throat> completely different and very dark and is cool in its own weird, weird, strange, wonderful way. I even remember... When I was like in fifth grade, there was a Wizard of Oz video game. It was either through Super Nintendo or Sega Genesis. And it was really bad. <laughs> it was really hard. You actually play as Dorothy going down the yellow brick road and shit is just flying at you. Like there's crows oh, and there's I'm trees. flashbacks about this I don't think now, I ever I think. got past the first level. I just remember it being bonkers hard. I definitely rented the game because I did not own that. But And then when... I was in high school. I remember Gregory Maguire was coming up as an author, and a bunch of people were reading his first well-known book, which was Confessions of an Ugly Stepsister, yeah. which I don't remember. I don't remember if I read or not. Mm. I remember being aware of it, but I just remember reading so much in high school because I was an AP English. <laughs> and, you know, I just remember. I have no idea if I read this book or not. And then a couple years later, in college, I had heard that a musical was being made out of his book, Wicked, The Life and Times of the Wicked Witch of the West. So I went out, bought that, read it, loved it. And then eventually, 
we saw it right on Broadway. So the first time we saw it on Broadway was the week after the Tonys, and Adina Menzel had won her Tony. Right. But during the show, well, to First off, everyone was an understudy that night. It was very strange. <laughs> everyone was an understudy. All the lead players. So no Christian Chenoweth, no Joel Grey, which is fine. It's fine. Adina was still there. But she right. was coughing throughout the entire first act and was sick and kind of didn't sound very good because um, she was fighting some bug. And then during act two, they switched her out for her understudy, which mm -hmm. is Eden Espinosa. Oh, so yeah. I kind of feel like the first time we saw it, we barely saw the show like i remember seeing it been like i need to see this again but like <laughs> really see it because i felt like the experience we got wasn't complete so we went back again six months later and finally saw adina right and then we moved here a couple years later and we saw it a few more times <laughs> through the Wicked Lottery. Do you want to explain what the Wicked Lottery is? I've been I, talking I a lot. I do, I do. So the Wicked Lottery, and it, uh, for those of you who uh, don't see a lot of Broadway shows, uh, most shows on Broadway have a ticket lottery where they will give out uh, usually 20, sometimes 20. more um, tickets in either partial view or front row Uh that that are discounted heavily. Uh, that it's are like twenty bucks. 20, right now, twenty bucks or thereabouts online. Yep, except, digital, for except for Wicked. Wicked. So explain, uh, which, is, which is really unique. So how it works. You arrive there at one o'clock, and which is uh, two is and a half hours before showtime. Right. Whatever the showtime. Oh, is. that's right. Two and a half hours. Uh, it's been a while since we've done one of so these. So five thirty. So you get there at five. Yeah, you get there at five. Uh, 5.30, and you stand in line, and back in the day, when Wicked was two years old, instead of however old it is now, goodness. Uh, going uh, on 17. Yeah. yeah. So, so back in its heyday. When it was like three years old or two years old, those lines didn't just cover the entire uh, theater lot. They, they wrapped around the block, and it was cold. And you you waited, and you waited, and then finally so they what put it, your name in a in a spinner, and they drew it like a lottery. And So uh, you stood yeah. in line to write your name down on a note card from which they drew from essentially a big bucket. And Correct. so there might be 200 people there for... Vying for 20 seats. Right. And, and if you won, you got to spend $25 cash for a front row seat. And if you lost, you got nothing. You didn't get right. to see the show. You got, well, you got the pleasure of wa watching those who won get super excited and get to go buy their tickets. <laughs> Meanwhile, you have nothing to do that night because uh, your your hopes were riding on this lottery. And, uh, you know, something this show. So, but, but also, this was back when we were very, very just young gonna, yeah. and very poor we were very broke back so then, we didn't so. have the financial means to buy full price tickets so these lotteries were really the main way that we saw a lot of shows yeah absolutely we saw um numerous plays this way uh back in the day but wicked is the one we would enter very very consistently and i used to joke because it took so long for us to finally win i was so determined like yes. it was an accomplishment to, to win like even though it's just pure stupid luck like i really wanted to win and it it used to be when our names were not called, I would get very, very sad. Yes. Very sad because... We both were sad because Matt was sad because he didn't win. It was and either, I was well, sad it was that we either, waited out in the cold. Yeah. It, was very, it was very peasant -y. And $25 was like our weekend budget. So it was either that or go down to the crappy AMC on 42nd and see <laughs> Snakes on a Plane. <laughs> or like Medea's Family Reunion. Or like whatever stupid movie was playing. Right. That week. So, I mean, one thing I'll say about but this... But we did win. We did win a few times. Yeah, well, Matt, if, if we're being honest, you've probably seen the the show, what, nine, maybe ten times at least over the course of the last de decade and a so, half? So, yes, over the past 17 <laughs> years, I've seen it ten times. Okay. So it ties for Rent. I've seen Rent ten times. Okay. Eight of those times, like seven of those times were the lottery. lottery if it wasn't yeah. for the lottery... I would have seen it like twice. So just to be clear, I'm not wasting all of my disposable income on Wicked. Most of those were all lotteries spread over a couple years. So tell me, you know, because you've seen the show so often and it's such a big, I mean, it's definitely a big part of our New York City story. What does the show mean to you? What does it reflect in, in your mind? Oh, God. why? So I love it because I love The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. And I love this idea of taking... This character that we think we know 
that's copyrighted <laughs> heavily yes. right now by Disney because they own MGM, which owned Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. da, da, da. and then just kind of seeing the world from their point of view. I thought that was really interesting because and it, it goes back to, you know, really to to understand our enemies, you know, it's kind of have to walk a mile in their shoes. So I thought that this was a brilliant work. The book Wicked by Gregory McGuire is wonderful and it's so different from Very different. Yes. There's a series of books that in this universe called The Wicked Year. So there's four wicked books altogether. Alphabuzz only in one, Glinda's in all four, and they're all very interesting and very very different. So I definitely recommend those books. I recommend those books if anyone wants to see Glinda's arc, because right. she is in all of them, and how she ends that series is very interesting. She ends Powerful. as a very yeah. old woman who does a lot for the revolution. And so, what it means to me, uh, I don't know. I think I think it's a great show. I love the outsider's perspective. I love Elphaba's arc. I think anyone who has ever felt ostracized, anyone who has ever felt different. Anyone who has ever felt like an outsider, who's been bullied, who's been made fun of, who has been picked on for maybe, I don't know, believing in whatever you believe in, for instance, believing in gay rights in the 90s, you know, all these (laughs) things where we, you know, have this conviction in us and we know what we believe in our hearts is true, but society is telling us that it's not true. And then I I think the spirit of that character really resonated with me because I like Alphaba. Did never did not fit it in school. I was heavily bullied, heavily ostracized, heavily depressed, and so I love how she overcame her experience to become this powerful person. And throughout her arc, towards the end, everyone is calling her wicked, calling her terrible things, and she's actually fighting, fighting for justice. And right. and on the plus side, you have this character Glinda, who starts out very superficial and very vapid, and. Through her interaction, she becomes very noble. and She finds her own inner hero, yeah. Right. So I I love the spirit of the story. I think the music is incredible. Oh, yeah. I think that opening music that I just played, when you're in the theater and the lights go down and you hear that orchestra hit. Yeah. And the time dragon clock above you starts moving. moving. Oh, yeah. It's so, like, you know something's going to happen. You know it's going to be epic. And speaking of that, what I want to speak to is the scenic design of the show Wicked is some of my favorite scenic design in musical theater history. I'm an amateur scenic designer. (laughs) I've done it once for free for a black box, which beats barely, barely being a scenic designer. But I did design the scenery for our Midsummer Night's Dream. And I've always been very fascinated by scenic design and how, how designers take elements from the story and literally paint it on stage. And sometimes it's very subtle. Sometimes it's very literal the scenic design for wicked is all uh clock gears it's all screws it's very mechanical it's very steampunk Steampunk, yeah when you walk into the theater you see this gigantic dragon and the outline of a clock and the whole entire show takes place in this quote-unquote time dragon clock so in the original book the time dragon clock was a literal character it was something that was wheeled from town to town Mm -hmm. and the time dragon clock would put on little plays and kind of the plays that happened in the time dragon clock were little parallels to what was happening in the town. It was a magical device that kind of showed people kind of what was literally happening. Allegory in essence. Yeah. And there is this chapter in the book Wicked where Elphaba and Glinda wonder whether or not they have free reign over their lives or whether their entire lives are just a little show being put on in the time dragon clock. And it it's one of Gregory Maguire's really kind of deep metaphors over destiny and fate. Do we mm-hmm. have f- fate over our lives? In, you know, were they just destined to become these people? So you have that element. It's on stage on Wicked, but not once in the entire script does anyone mentioned the time dragon clock they mention it once but yeah. they don't explain what it is so you have this entire scenic design that is built around an idea that is never ever ever explained so i wonder if either in the original script for the broadway production they mention it and they just cut it mm. because the whole entire show takes place in this 
clock. I always thought so it was actually subtle, like they were making they were they were sort of. But unless you've read the book, yeah. you have no idea what it is. What I think the designer was going for is that, as an audience member, you are watching this time dragon clock. You're watching this show that takes place within this clock, like how in the original book, the clock was a giant clock that little puppets and marionettes come about. So when you in the theater, you have this framing device of this clock, but it's never stated directly by the characters that this is the scenic design. So you kind of have to do homework as an audience member to decide why is there why is there a dragon? Right. There is a literal dragon hanging above the audience that moves that has steam coming out of his nose. But not once in the show do we ever learn why that is. So I find it interesting. It is very fascinating. I mean, I think um, I think you touched on this earlier, but for me, um, the story is is two things. I, I always love character explorations that that answer the question: What does it mean to be a villain, and how one gets there? And I like every single time as an actor, I've played a villain. Um, I, I don't I don't think you can you can. I don't think you can play a villain or understand a villain without understanding the the journey they took to get there. But, but, but and what you said, not to interrupt, but what what makes a villain? Because right. well, human perception makes a villain exactly. is what we're really saying. Exactly, Elphaba is only a villain because they're the saying they are. Says yeah. that when you watch and she her ends story, up and she no. ends up owning it, you know, towards the end to a degree in in how she deals with she, you know, she quote unquote no good does no good deed anymore you know eventually because she gets so uh frustrated with with everything that's happening society makes her right a villain you know how much and again how much of who we become is our own choice how much of it is destiny how much of it is society you know pushing us to to limits and how much you know she only becomes the villain when her spoilers her boyfriend fiero is she thinks murdered right and so that kind of pushes her over the edge to kidnap dorothy but then she turns it around and in the end is good and i love the moment there's there's so many good moments but i love that moment at the very end where do you think she's at and chistery mm-hmm. turns to glenn he actually speaks for the first time yeah because her whole arc is animals are being pure persecuted and and the show and the losing book, their ability to speak. Animals are symbol for any minority, any other. Oh, any the of, allegory now is stronger than ever, too. It's but such that's a fun, fun fact. We actually just rewatched the show two well, weeks ago, which right. is so why, we saw it. Yeah. The reason why we're doing this podcast about Wicked is that a couple of weeks ago we revisited the Broadway version for the first time in thirteen, 13 years. years. Yeah, the last time we saw it was two thousand seven. I just kind of thought it would be a. A fun day to go revisit this thing that in my early twenties was so important, and, and kind we wanted of a to big see. Deal. We really wanted to see um, uh, the, the person who's playing Madame Morrow right. now. So that's game changing. Alexandra Billings is a wonderful transgendered actress who is on the show Transparent. Yep, she is currently playing Madame Morrow. She is the first out transgender person to play a lead character in that show. She was out. <laughs> yeah, we missed Not her. out of the closet, <laughs> but out of the show due to illness. When we saw it, that was the one thing that made me actually spend hundreds of dollars on the show. And see, <laughs> it's fine. But it, it was, was still great. Fine. The show was lovely. The it's- allegory, though, is one thing that is stronger than ever. Like every single allegorical hit point that used to that used to be strong when when we were first seeing it and right. things were much much less dark what's quote really well they were dark in different ways yeah when, the, when wicked opened it was mid 2003 and we were in the midst of george bush part does right right um invasion of iraq and that whole we have to fight them over there or they're gonna come and fight us here and this whole otherization of the middle east and why are we invading this country that right, didn't right. attack us? And so, so many people were finding such strong allegories between the George W. Bush Part Two's, I'll call it a regime, right? Um, just because Trump is more awful than George Bush doesn't it's mean a, that we right. No, things were still bad, but, but it was, um, it, was a, it was a big. His big line was the Wizards line that always got a reaction: "Is the only way to unite people is to give them a really good enemy." And that was very true in 2003. What's even more true now in 2020 is the wizard is now literally 
putting animals in cages, and now we have a president who's putting children right. in cages. And what was interesting, my reaction to this show was I had a lot of nostalgia for my early 20s, mm-hmm. which is fun to kind of revisit things that meant a lot to you it's when you like, were a teen. And it's like a day in the life or, or living, I don't know, it's like all the times you spent with this show sort of connected. It was hard I, not to... That's the whole point of this segment of the show is there's these pop culture things which aren't important in the grand scheme of life, but to us they are very important for very specific reasons. And, and a big part of your story. Your like childhood, a, like your Like a show can be a so, part of your story. Yeah, and so being in that theater again, it brought back so much emotions to being in my early 20s and making me realize, like, what a different person I was, mm-hmm. how different my life has changed in so many ways. So how kind of how like, far up the mountain you've climbed from, how far, from yeah, then to now. Exactly, you know? and what this means to me versus what it meant now. But I actually... I didn't tear up throughout the show because I've seen it so many times. I know when all the lines are coming. The only time I s- started to tear up was during the wizard's scene when mm. he talked about giving other people a bad name or putting other animals, people in cages to unite them. I got such a Trumpy vibe oh, yeah. from that scene that is actually very disturbing. And in the characterization way- is now being done very similar, I think. True. Yeah, I, true. Think, I think it's been amped up, to be honest. Exactly. On that note, I have a game. Okay. I always have a game. For this game, I did no work at all. I went online. I went to a Wicked fan site because Wicked has a big fan community. Oh, sure. At one point in my life, I was a part of. <laughs> and this is a quiz. Okay. And this was created online. It's called How Well Do You Know the Musical Wicked? It's created by... Kaylee. Okay, Kaylee. Okay. Bring it. And I, I just want you to know, I did not write any bits. This is no comedy. I am reading this quiz verbatim exactly. Okay. okay? This all is right. this is all Kaylee. Kaylee wants to quiz you go on Ka- your again. Okay. Go Kaylee. Number one. During the overture, how does the curtain come up? One, there's a curtain. Two, the fly monkeys turn a wheel and it goes up. Three. It just comes up automatically. Uh, flying monkeys. Yes. Oh, I think you're going to get 100% on this quiz, too. This is. Oh, I have a feeling I'm going to crush this. I and also, also. Do you need me to sing the score while I'm I say it? something grammatically incorrect, I am reading it verbatim from the quiz. I will, okay. I will sing Dancing Through Life right now. Okay, number okay. two. What is on the curtain? One, the Wicked logo. Two, a map of Oz. Three, a flying monkey. <laughs> a map of Oz uh, covered in emerald light. Yes. Bonus points. Oh, yes. Kaylee is a fan of <laughs> the second choice. Number three. How does Galinda enter the stage? One. By she, bubble. D- d- no. Okay. I have to read Kaylee's okay. response. How does Galinda enter <laughs> the stage? One. She ride in on a horse. Two. She skips on stage. Three. She comes down in her bubble. She comes down in her bubble. Good. Good job. For the win. (laughs) (laughs) Number four. What is Elphaba's sister's name? One. I have to read the... (laughs) I will will edit all this bullshit out. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Four. What is Elphaba's sister's name? One. Nessa Rose. Two. Wicked Witch. Three. Lacey. Girl. Okay, Kaylee. Uh, ne- uh, answer A, Nessa Rose. Okay. okay. I told you that Kaylee had some good responses, okay. all right? Some good options. Kaylee's trying to trip you she up, all right? Okay. Okay. Number five. Easy one, comma. What color is Alphaba? One, orange. Two, white. Three, green. Four, pink. Five, she colored question mark green yep yep okay yep um kaylee i don't think you meant the racial implications and your wording but you said it not I mean, us okay technically wouldn't that be an oh but she's from white parents so she no she'd still be are you saying she's white because her name is kaylee no no i'm talking about alphabo was oh. from white white <laughs> okay. parents so, i thought you were yeah. talking about <laughs> <laughs> no i thought you assumed because her name was kaylee she, no no that's only probably true okay number six what is Elphaba's dream at first? One, to learn perfect magic. Two, to meet the wizard. Three, to destroy Oz. 
To meet the wizard. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Number seven. What song starts the show? One, The Wizard and I. Two, No One Mourns the Wicked. Three, Defying Gravity. Four, Popular. No One Mourns the Wicked. Oh, you're doing so good. Number eight. What are the two actresses who play Glinda and Elphaba in the original New York version? New York Come is on. not. Wait. New York is not capitalized. Okay. Number one. <laughs> <laughs> Kristen Chenoweth and Sierra Boggess. Two, Kristen Chenoweth and Adina Menzel. Three, Brittany Snow and Adina Menzel. Kristen Chenoweth and Adina Menzel. Yes. Number three. Oh, number nine. Oh, what am I talking about? What is the name of the book Alphaba gets her spells from? One, The Big Book of Spells. Two, Spells for the Wicked. Three, The Grimmery. <laughs> <laughs> do you need a minute no i don't the grimmery <laughs> okay okay you know what she's trying okay this is my number 10 is actually my favorite question okay. all right but you have to listen make it, to it make it a hard one you have to listen to the choices first okay I, no no comments I, I, from the I believe, I believe in kaylee <laughs> <laughs> that makes one of us okay number 10 what is the name of the munchkin who is in love with galinda one fiero two Pip squeak. Three. Bach. What is this, Cinderella? No, the answer is Bach. Yes. <laughs> I just like Pip squeak. I just, <laughs> you know, I, I like that's a creative choice. I, I give Kaylee some credit. You know, she. I, I thought she could have. She could have. I said, thought the original actress one was a little. If you're if you hadn't seen the show nine times, I think it hmm. might have been uh, challenging. But I just like the name Pip squeak. She could have said Kevin. You know, she she. I think Kevin would have been funny. But, but Pipsqueak is good. Pipsqueak is great. Yeah. Number 12. Oh, there's more? It's uh, <laughs> like three more. Number 12. How did Elphaba end up green? One, her mom drank green elixir before she was born. Two, she always got sick and just stayed that way. Three, she ate too many veggies. Okay. Based on the answer choices provided, the actual answer is none, but based on the choices provided, I'm going to go with A. It was also it was also the double parenting between worlds uh, with the mom and yeah. technically yes that yes. that it is not just that the mom had green Kool Aid <laughs> before having. You don't remember that scene in Wicked where Elphaba's just like binge eating kale and broccoli. She's, you don't remember where she, she's like training for a triathlon. Or yeah, something? she's like drinking my green little powder that little I drink. Powder, yeah, she, she's lifting with you. Yeah, that's she, how she turned green. Okay. Yeah. And the last one, because I know, yeah, I'm sorry, <laughs> I know this has been a trying time. <laughs> this is a dumb question, okay. <clears throat> what song does Fierro sing when he arrives in Oz, Dancing Through Life, Sentimental Man, or It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp? Now that's good, that's a good one. <laughs> um, uh, I, I may have edited that for Kaylee. Thank you, thank you, please. <laughs> you, why, didn't, why didn't you punch this up? I did. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Did you find this five minutes before? <laughs> anyway, the answer is Dancing Through Life. Yeah. All right. So that has been our episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please like and follow us on Apple, Google, or anywhere else you find your podcasts. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can email us at spiritsandchatpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on the interwebs at Spirits and Chat on Facebook and also Twitter. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, please. And if you have five seconds in your day or 10 or 15, however long it takes you to write a nice little review on Apple, please do that. That will help a lot with our visibility on that platform. Until next time, I'm Matt Pullman. And I'm Jonathan Emerson. Stay wicked.